they had to tell me it was time to come up. That was my first time seeing that bumper, and it was so adorable, looking at everybody serving in the different roles and where you are, um, contributing to the message and the mission of leading people to Jesus, contributing to life flourishing in this church body. Before we move into our new series on the gifts of the Spirit, I want to also make you aware of almost an object lesson of it, but we have not just a staff at this church, pastoral staff and those serving and working, but we also have an elder board that works alongside of me, that works together with me, praying and discerning where God is leading. And to be a lay elder at the church is um, a huge blessing and honor, and they have been such a wonderful support and team working and praying alongside of me as we're discerning where God is leading our church. The elder board that we have has been particularly um, significant in the last few years because leading in a church setting over the last three years has been really, really difficult. Um, and our elders have come alongside, prayed with um, long threads on base camp of us trying to figure out, um, do we close? Do we open? Are we online? Are we not? How do we respond to this? What should our wording be? How do we care for the people God has given us? How do we present the truth of the gospel in a complex culture? Large discussions and hearts open in how we discuss and walk this forward. I want to recognize that our board has served alongside in a very difficult time while also acknowledging Two of our particular board members who have stepped down from leadership in the last year, um, leaving two open positions for us. And so I want to give a huge heartfelt thank you to both Elias Davila and Jerry Murphy, who have served over very difficult circumstances. Give them a huge round of applause over the last few years. Um, it, it takes a toll, but it is also an honor, and I have left so many board meetings feeling uh, so encouraged and full of life in these last few years, getting to serve alongside of and knowing that I'm not alone in the decision-making process of leading this church body. So that leads me to, with two elders stepping down, we had two open positions for elders. And so as a board, we've been praying and discerning, um, and we have nominated forward both David Sherry and Elizabeth Sherry to step onto our board as elders. In our bylaws, what that means is that in two weeks on July was that 17th? 17th. We're going to be after service asking all of you who are official members of Pennington AG Church just to hang around service afterwards. And we're going to have a special business meeting. Should take about 15 minutes where we're going to ask you to participate in uh, voting and giving your say on welcoming in these two new elders into our church body. So hopefully set your calendars if you're a member of the church officially to hang around after service on the 17th. We will also be sending out an email this week with details on them and also reminding you about the 17th. You are a part of this process as well, which is a perfect lead-in into our talk about gifts of the Spirit and the body of the church walking together. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, verses 1 through 11. If you'll read it with me, I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. You also have it in your uh, chairs every other underneath you. It'll be on the screen behind me, but follow along with me as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul giving this encouragement to the church in Corinth. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. 
You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all of these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Join me in prayer over God's Word this morning. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you, God, for the example the early church gives to us, how to serve you, how to live in your presence, and how to be a help, a loving encouragement to one another in this world you have given us, that we may lead them to you, Jesus. We thank you. You have not left us alone, but you have given your spirit to live inside of us and unite us. In the name of Jesus, amen. As we begin, I want to start, um, and before I even put this image up, I realize I never, ever start a sermon with a sports illustration, Um, which is weird because I like sports. I play sports. I follow basketball. I follow baseball. I follow football. I I play tennis. I'm terrible at basketball, but I'm pretty good at the rest. And in it, um, I just realized I never, ever talk about sports from the stage, which must make me, I don't know, look different than I think. It's very Pastor Frank who played at Connect Church, 100% sports analogies. But toss this image up here. Uh, that is, in the front there, um, one of the most iconic uh, Philadelphia sports legends, Allen Iverson. Um, as a Philadelphia sports legend, he left it all on the court um, and then also was a pretty big character off of the court. The person behind him, you probably know, is named Shaquille O'Neal, or Shaq, as you may understand. He's kind of famous. And the two of them together, I put up here because they play the same sport. You wouldn't know that by just looking at them off the page. There is a 13-inch difference in their height and like a 150-pound difference in their weight. And they play the same sport. That guy who's 7'1 and 290 pounds plays the same sport as that guy who's 6' and 175 pounds. Same sport. They play it very differently. One basically stands underneath the basket and swats balls out of the way or dunks them in and hopes not to get fouled because he's not a great foul shooter. The other one is all over the court, like a wirely maniac, passing, dribbling, shooting from all over, distributing. Play very different versions of the same sport. They're both basketball players. One powers up front, other runs around, takes shots, but they play the same sport. What Paul's encouraging to the church in Corinth here is he's saying, you're all very, very different. You're diverse, different people. 
And God's gifted you that way and born you that way. And the Spirit's working in you in that way. But you're playing the same sport. You're on the same team. And so work together. You can go back to the main title slide. I don't want everyone distracted by that crazy height difference. Or just thinking about Allen Iverson. I'm thinking about him now. Practice. How am I going to make my teammates better with practice? As we talk about the gifts, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. This letter in 1 Corinthians 12 is what scholars believe is probably part of a multi-letter correspondence back and forth. We know that there's at least four correspondence because there's 1 Corinthians and then there's 2 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, you might say. And in them, he's responding. And he says that. In the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, as you were asking me. So we know there's at least four letters back and forth in this. And we get somewhat a clear picture of what the church in Corinth was like. Two main attributes of this church. One, they're incredibly diverse. They're incredibly diverse. It's a port town. It's wealthy. A lot of people are coming in and out. So very different people all together in this church. And then the second is that they also were very spiritual. They're, they're operating in the gifts. They're seeking God's presence. And what Paul is telling them is, your diversity plus God's spirit in you has you moving all over the place to where you forgot what you're doing. You forgot the purpose of this. You forgot that you're being drawn into Christ and you're drawing others to Christ and that the spirit moving in you is to love each other and to love the community into Christ's presence. You're so diverse now at this point, you look just like the rest of the world, but you're not transcending your differences that the Spirit has given you to do. As we walk through this series on the gifts of the Spirit, the main point this morning and throughout is going to be that we are all necessary for the good news to flourish. All of us is necessary in this process, the diversity, the differences of each of us, but that it is our community as a whole that is necessary for the good news of Christ Jesus to flourish in Pennington, in Hopewell, in Mercer County, and throughout the world. We are all needed in this process, in this work. I want to give you an overview of the gifts of the Spirit. Oftentimes we teach about or someone's teaching on it, I think we can do two mistakes when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. Either A, we emphasize them way too much and we get into them, what's your gifts? And I'm a prophetess and that's all that I do or or, I'm, I'm a teacher and that's my specific way that I operate and you can't challenge me on it. We have specific roles and we're trying to figure out what's my gifts and what test can I take online that tells me the Spirit's gift in me? Oh, okay, that's me and that's how it works with my Enneagram and that's it. And then we just become all focused on that and the power and the, the hairs on our arms standing up because God's doing something. Or we go to the other side and we just never talk about them at all. And it's just too weird, too complex, so let's just, you know, kind of put it aside. And when someone asks me, I'll be like, yeah, we're all made different. And we kind of dismiss it. I want to give you an overview. And when we talk about gifts of the Spirit, there are many ways to categorize them in order to try and understand Some overlap, they're from four or five different scripture passages, and we try to synthesize them and understand them together. But I'm going to walk through a, what I think is the simplest, clearest way of sort of organizing the gifts of the Spirit. Again, this is not the only way to organize or understand them, it's just what I think is most helpful. First is the motivational gifts. 
the motivational gifts, we see them in Romans, Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about. The motivational gifts are things like prophecy and service, teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership, and mercy. Encouragement um, can often be just exuberance. I'm, I'm excited about things. We often say in the office that Gavin has this gifting because if I tell him this is important or this is the vision of the church, no one is going to celebrate that more than Gavin. It's a, almost a supernatural ability he has to get excited and to believe in what God's doing. Or the gift of mercy, being kind and gentle. These are gifts the Spirit puts in us. Second category of spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts are what we'll talk a little bit about today in 1 Corinthians 12. These are the ones we normally see in operation on a Sunday morning, or we think of as some public gifts. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Or as the New Living says, speaking in other languages and then interpreting those other languages. These are probably the ones we think about when we talk about spiritual gifts. Third category are ministry gifts. These are the ones that help the church move forward and help us work as a church body. These are ministry gifts as listed out at the end of 1 Corinthians 12 and in Ephesians chapter 4. They're things like apostleship, which I'll just simplify apostleship to be visionary leadership. Have a vision for more churches, a new network we can plant over here. Apostleship, helps, administration, evangelism, and then pastoral. These are the giftings that help the ministry of the church move forward. And then lastly, other gifts. I wanted to call them rando gifts, but we decided in staff that was not respectful enough. But the other gifts that come from different passages that don't fit in these categories. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Peter 4, 8 list out four different gifts that don't fall in these categories. Celibacy is a gift, and for any of you young people in the church, I pray this over your life every single day. I'm just kidding. Uh, celibacy is a gift of not being married um, in your future. Voluntary poverty, not just being poor, but choosing to live um, on lesser means, martyrdom as a gift, and hospitality. Of those three, probably you're like, I really just want the hospitality one. I'm not praying for the other three. But when God moves and works in your lives, those can really be transformational. Paul says that he has the gift of celibacy, and he talks about how great it is that he's not worried about finding a spouse or a partner or having kids. His life is so flexible, and he can focus on ministry. These are gifts that God works in some of us, and those are the other gifts. On the third week of this, we'll explore these in a little more detail, but I just want to give an overview so we kind of know where we're going and what we're working in this series. Let's come back into our text, 1 Corinthians 12. Let's look at what's happening in Corinth. In Corinth at the time Paul's writing this letter, they had become so spiritual in the gifts working in them that they were missing the point of Jesus. And their spiritualism had become more important than Jesus. The gifts working in me, me being able to prophesy, me being able to evangelize or share or do a, a healing, a miracle. They had come to service wanting God to work through them in these ways. I'm going to give a prophetic gift to somebody. I'm going to operate in tongues. At one point, Paul says, you're literally pursuing these gifts so much, you're talking over each other. No one can even hear who's prophesying or what because you're competing with each other on who's got the best gifts and who can get the most attention in service. We see very quickly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 
that he says, I want you to know that no one is speaking by the Spirit of God. They will curse Jesus. And no one is saying Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Paul's saying the operation of the Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus. But so many times we can get so fixated on God working through me that we forget the purpose of why God's working through us. He operates in me so much, I forget the one who gave me that gift. I forget the reason of why I have the gift. And I become focused on myself again. It comes down to how I feel in worship. How the Spirit's moving in me. And what's God doing in me at an altar. Rather than Jesus Christ getting the glory and the honor. Rather than someone being led into Jesus' presence. God can work a prophetic word through you. And that can... Be transformative in their life. But if that prophetic word doesn't lead them back to Jesus and to give glory in Jesus, it will not be life transformational. And if they say, wow, that person operates so much in the gift. Wow, I can't wait for the speaker to come because they can or they do or God works. Rather than saying, this person led me to Jesus. This gift gave glory to Jesus. This gift helped me to know the goodness of Jesus. The church in Corinth became so fixated on what the Spirit was doing in them, they forgot why the Spirit was working in them and who they received it from. The second thing we had seen in the church in Corinth is while they were diverse, their diversity had been given rankings. Some diversities were better than others. Some giftings were better than others. If you had a gifting that operated from the stage, obviously that's better than a gifting that operates out of the office. If your gifting involved healing of somebody, that's obviously better than if your gifting is administration or your gifting is help. Of course it is. That person's bone was broken and now it's healed. You helped our budget reach the right number. No, those aren't. Paul is saying these are all one and the same. These are all the same giftings moving the same mission, moving the same body of Christ together. The third thing we see problematic for the church in Corinth is that their spiritual gifts were used for their personal glory. This is something God put in me and I can do and that you can come to me. We see that their giftings had lost their focus so much that they're actually now using their gifting to have power over others to exploit others by their power, to exploit others by the attention. We see this in modern days. Oftentimes they're put up on TV or they have their own YouTube channel. But that we take a gift God is operating through us and instead of using it to build up one another, we use it to take advantage of each other. That can be in the most explicit way of taking money from somebody by a a claim of performing miracles, but it could also be used in our own small church settings of I feel a lot better about myself when somebody appreciates what God's doing in me. And I want to make sure that they know I can operate this way and that I can get that attention for myself. In our world today, we're very similar to Corinth. We live in a very similar setting where the church is very diverse. A lot of different backgrounds, different opinions, different viewpoints. Even for myself, as I lead our church congregation, as I lead PAG Church, oftentimes in my head, whatever it is I'm talking about or when I have to address a very specific cultural issue, 
I often know that our church body is really diverse, and you guys are going to fall oftentimes on one side or the other of how you understand it. So it can be stressful in trying to do that. And in Corinth, they had that same diversity of we're coming from different areas with different perspectives and backgrounds. But I might argue that our modern church is not diverse. I think diverse is the wrong word. I think we're just different. And the difference being different versus diverse is you're diverse when you have a lot of differences, but you're all working for the same goal and in the same identity. So basketball, they're all playing the same sport. You can have a diverse crew, a diverse team, but you're all working for the 76ers. You're all working to get that ball into that hoop. So you have a same goal, but differences of how we're achieving that. I would argue that in the last five years, the church has become not diverse anymore, but just different. We can't even agree on what our goals are anymore. What Jesus was doing and how we understand him. What love means and how we love and care for each other. When you talk about church vision, there's usually four tiers to how to understand vision. If you walk through leadership materials, there is mission, and mission is what our church accomplishes, what we're about. You don't ever change that. Vision is how we're achieving that mission, and that vision can change. And then there are goals, and goals are the things we set to make sure we're achieving the visions that move our mission forward. Above mission is something that rarely gets talked about called worldview. And particularly in church, worldview almost never gets talked about because it's pretty much assumed, or it's been assumed for dozens or decades, years. And so worldview is, in the Christian church, I believe that God is good, and he's made all of us for his good and flourishing. We don't need to talk about that. We all know that. Jesus is the center point of what we're doing, and Jesus is the gospel message that we are sinners saved by grace. We don't need to discuss those things. In the last five years, those have all come onto the table. And it's unsettling for each of us as followers of Christ because we thought we were on the same page about these assumed things, and all of a sudden we realize we're not. I don't understand loving someone in the same way you do. I don't understand who Jesus Christ was and is now in the same way that you do. And we find this tension in the church body. And where we used to feel united, we now feel unsettled. As Gavin was even saying, the pandemic kind of pointed that out to us. And I, I would say the pandemic sped things up, but it also just pointed out what was already there. And so I wouldn't say the church is diverse anymore. I'd say we're just different. We need to, as Paul would say, come back to vision alignment. Why do we exist? What is our purpose? What are we doing? When we say at Pennington AG, we are leading people to Jesus, what does that mean? How do I align myself and the church community together around that? The second thing I think we struggle with, and this one I will blame on the pandemic, is we have put ministry into the hands of professionals. Church is done by professionals, by people paid to or people up on stage, not done by the church body anymore. And that happened for very obvious reasons. Because for about a year and a half, that there was almost no other way. I became a content creator, and I was making sermons, and we were making worship videos and sending them out to you, and you were sitting on your couch with your coffee, trying not to get each other sick, and drinking it, watching it, hopefully praying and participating, hopefully singing out loud, but I would guess probably not, because often I wouldn't do that, and this is my job. And what happened is we fell into this assumption where 
as an average church member, you begin to think about Sunday morning and you say, well, what's Pastor Brian going to do today? What's Rachel and the team going to bring to us today? And forget that this was never just my job and you came and watched me do my thing. Pastor Brian, it could be kind of funny. I'm going to rate how funny he is or whatever. Only one of you does that. And I love it. But fairness, that knife cut both ways. It was hard of me, for me, after the pandemic, to release control. It felt good to have total and utter control over what we were doing and how we were doing it. If a church member wants to start a small group that wasn't my idea and wasn't run through a filter of everything I think it should be, it's kind of unsettling for me, and it's honestly an act of faith for me to say, yeah, go and do that. Go operate in your gifting. Lead in this area. Decide the budget. Give the vision inside of it. It's hard for us pastors now to release that control. And by you not seeing this as your mission and work, and by me seeing this as my hand of control, we are not being the church that the Holy Spirit has empowered us to be. In instance, we can be reading 1 Corinthians 12 this way, instead of how Paul had it. We may take it and say, a spiritual gift is given, not to each of us so we can help each other, but a spiritual gift is given to pastors so that they can help us. To one person, nope. To pastors, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, nope, not person, pastor, the Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. To that same Spirit gives great faith to another, pastor. And to another pastor, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. Like it or not, we've started reading these passages these ways. And I'm standing 18 inches elevated onto a stage, but it's literally just so you in the back can see me. Not because I have any special ability or difference or power over me than you. God has given me spiritual gifts of teaching, of discernment, of in some ways apostleship, of being able to have vision for where God is leading, that have put me in this role to help teach and guide. But it's not my church. I didn't start this place. I'm not going to finish this place. We are all stewards in what God is doing at Pennington AG Church right now in this time, in this season. Amen? You are a part of this. This is our time that God has given to us collectively to lead, to serve, and to love. Let's see what Paul recommends, how we heal from this. He says in the first part of this passage, in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that the Spirit's great gift is in bringing glory to Jesus. Before we think about prophecy or healing or any of the other gifts, the gifts of the Spirit are that Jesus Christ is glorified. The gifts of the Spirit are given so that we bring Him clearer, more beautiful, more engaging out into the community. Every spiritual gift is meant to lead back to Jesus and to bring Him glory. He says, you can't bring glory to Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is moving and working in you, you can't curse Him. The Holy Spirit is most at work bringing glory to Jesus. Jesus Himself says this in John chapter 15, verse 14. He says, the Holy Spirit will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. As we talk about the gifts God has given to each of us, the gifts He's working in you, 
building in you, empowering in you, your thought should always and ever be, how is the way God made me? How is the way God works through me bringing glory to Jesus? How am I leading others into his beautiful presence and into his name? How am I sharing the goodness of who he is? The second, Paul says, is that the Spirit is the ultimate unifier. The Holy Spirit brings equality into us, equity into us. The Holy Spirit empowers us all equally, male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit unites us together. As Paul says later in Ephesians, for there's one body and there's one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. I think it is so encouraging and beautiful that we each have the same spirit in us, connecting us. As you pray at home, and as I pray, taking a walk, or in my house, or in my car, we are each praying to the same spirit. As we take time to listen to God's voice, we are hearing from the same spirit. And I'll give you a backstage view of preaching. Sometimes a few of you come up to me and you go, Pastor Brian, what you were preaching today was like you had written that sermon just for me. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit was speaking just to me about my life. And, and it's powerful and incredible. And I'd be like, yeah, that's absolutely true. But you were one of five people who said that this morning. And that doesn't take away from you. It's actually the beauty that God can speak to each of us the same word, the same encouragement, the same challenge at the same time, even though we are diverse, different people. When I was first lead pastor, I was actually, and I made a lot of mistakes in this process, I was one of those cool, young lead pastors that made a lot of changes. And I was like, yeah, I know how to make us younger and hipper and cooler. I'm not going to wear a tie anymore, and the lights are going to be lower. And I did all these changes, and, and some of them really worked, and some of them made people really mad at me. And um, I remember getting one anonymous letter. I got a lot of actually anonymous letters, at the full disclosure, I did, um, often disguised as prayer requests. And... Um, <laughs> yeah, what, what, whatever. Um, and one of them was written, it was my favorite one, because I thought it was really clever. And it said, if Jesus is the light of the world, why are we worshiping in his darkened tomb? And I said, you know what, I'm going to give you that one. That one's pretty good. Um, but also, the handwriting was really obvious, and I knew who it was. And I said, I said you know what, I said, ah. I have to address this. I can't just let this one go. I have to talk to this person about this. And I, I don't like confrontation. So I was really stressed about it. I was praying about it, very stressed, really nervous. And I was like, oh, this is going to be the worst. Um, and I got to have this conversation. And all throughout service, I'm praying. And at one point in service, I felt the Holy Spirit just give me this peace of like, hey, I got this. We're good. This is going to be okay. And I was like, all right. I had already strategized out. I, spent, I wrote a page of my strategy of how to have this conversation, how to be loving and affirming while also being clear about the direction we're moving as a church and all these things. And after service, that same person came up to me and grabbed me and said, hey, um, I need to talk to you for a second. And I'm, in my head, I'm like, I thought so. But they said, during service, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And the Holy Spirit said to me, um, I don't know if you know this pastor. I wrote a letter that was probably a little mean. I shouldn't have done that. Um, I said, oh, you did? And, and, and they said, um, I just feel like during service, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and corrected me that I shouldn't have done that in that way. And that I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I am God and I can be worshipped in many different ways 
And my glory is big enough and high enough that it doesn't matter the manner as long as I am being glorified. And they said, hey, I want you to know we're cool. I apologize. And I said, we're cool. We hugged them and we wept a little bit. And um, I remember thinking what probably was going to be an hour of a painful conversation was two minutes of a loving embrace because the Holy Spirit was working through us. And we were both open and listening. We're diverse. We had very different views on how church should operate. But the Holy Spirit was speaking and moving through us together. Paul says, this is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, and most simply, he says, the Holy Spirit empowers the church to be helpful to each other, that we would help each other. I think about one of my favorite shows from the early 2000s, a show called Community. Um, Really weird show, but I love that show. And in it, it's the center of a, a a group of friends at a community college, and they're very diverse in their group, and just the wacky adventures they go on in a community college. And at one point in a later season, a new person is added into their group, and they don't like that a new person is in it because they've been together for several years now. And the new person sees them from a different light, that they're not a loving group working together, but that they're, they're toxic, and they are aggressive towards each other, passive-aggressive, mean towards each other, undercutting. And at one point, famously, he says at the end, he goes, I don't want to be in your group. Your love is weird and toxic. And I thought you were supposed to love each other. And I hate it. And he leaves. And then he was a uh, Iraq war veteran. He says he cries in the bathroom. Like, no, I've never seen him cry that way. You did that. I think oftentimes people can come into the body of Christ And they can say, you guys say that you love each other, but your love is weird and toxic. Do we love each other in the way we say that we do? What does love look like? Love is, my favorite working definition, is love is putting the wants and needs of another person above your own. That's it. Love is saying, I may like it this way, I may want it this way, but my love for you and you like it a different way means I'm going to advocate for the way you want and like it. And if we're all doing this and we're all competing with each other to serve each other, to care for each other, for the glory and benefit of God and each other, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. Because I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship where you've tried to just give and give and give. It doesn't work. Eventually you run out and you snap and you get mad. But Paul says the Holy Spirit is given so that supernaturally you can be refilled and supernaturally you can give again. Closing out, the Spirit is given to unite all of the church to participate in bringing glory to Jesus. This is the role of the Holy Spirit, the giftings that He gives to us, the way He operates in us. He is given so that each and every one of us in this body of Christ is leading and helping each other to know Jesus more fully and more completely. In fact, The word spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 is actually a poor translation of this word Paul uses. The word is actually pneumatica, and it really is more like um, spirituality. And Paul's saying, you used to live wholly physically, or the, the technical term is actually carnality. You used to live in just the way your body wanted, the way your mind wanted, and God is calling you to now live spiritually, and to live in the fullness of that spiritual life, and that the Holy Spirit can empower you to do that. 
Another way of saying it is he goes, now friends, about spirituality. Now friends, about the spiritual life you're living. He says, you can live on your own strength. In another passage, Paul says, working out and being fit, taking care of your heart and your body is good. You should do that. Being clever and smart and using your mind is good. You should do that. Going to counseling and being aware of your emotions is very good and you should do that. But he says, but how much better if you're doing all of that and then also tapping into the supernatural work of God in your heart and in your soul? He says, do all of it. Use all of yourself, not just your physical life. So much good can be done in the church through us just physically. Famously, one of uh, my church staff says when they see people like a Craig Rochelle or these big pastoral names who are so good at organizing and leading, they'll sometimes say, I think that they could lead a successful church if God didn't exist at all. I think they're just that talented, that smart, and that good at marketing. Is the Holy Spirit needed? If it comes to loving each other despite our differences, and if it comes to loving a world that's often difficult to love, absolutely the Spirit is needed to make me more like Jesus, to point me back to Jesus when I don't want to and when I don't have the energy to and when I'm too selfish to or I'm too emotionally fragile to. The Holy Spirit can move me and transcend me and refill me in that direction so that we as a church body are helping one another and loving one another into Christ's presence. Throughout this series, I want to mystify it for you a little bit. I want to make it a little mystical, the spirit moving and working in us, but I also want to demystify it. You're saying, what are my spiritual gifts? Well, I can point you to a website where you can take an online test and it'll kind of guess where your spiritual gifts are. But there's a simple rule of thumb. We toss that up there. Affinity, ability, and affirmation. In the middle of that, is what God's doing in your life. What's your ability? What are you good at? What do you, what do you like? What are you, what are you, when you serve in a particular way and it just feels like it works, what is that like? I love teaching. My wife terrified of standing in front of people and she often says to me, you just don't get it. You don't have a fear of that. And I'm like, no, you're right, I never have. But that's the gift that God's given me. If you put a spreadsheet in front of me to balance a budget, you will find I am not gifted there. But there are people in our church body who are. What are you good at? What has God put into your hands, your mind, your heart to be good at? That's fine. That's a great place to start. Second, what is your affinity? What gives you joy when you do it? What affirms you when you're, when you're working and, and operating that you're like, yeah, I love this. This gives me so much joy to participate. I'm good at it, and it gives me joy. And then lastly, what do others see in you and affirm in you? Yeah, you got a gift here. Yeah, God really works for you in this way. What's your ability? What's your affinity? And what has been affirmed in you? Find those three and see the middle and think, well, maybe God has gifted me here. Maybe the Spirit's moving in me in this way. Pray about it. Discern it. We'll talk about the details of them as we go along. But I want you to know it's not that difficult. It's not that scary to walk in and say, God, I am a part of your church. I follow you, Jesus. 
I want you to use me that others can be loved in the way I know I am loved by Christ Jesus. What can I do to move this mission of leading people to Jesus forward? Where can I maybe lead a small group or host a small group? Where can I help with children's ministry and kids' camp? And maybe I have a huge bubbly personality and I can get on stage and love kids. Where am I a gentle, merciful person and preschoolers would feel comfortable coming into my life? Where do I have such an organized mind and heart that I can serve with finance team and I can help with these organizational organizational things? Where can you use me, God? I will tell you, Every person I talk to, every pastor I talk to, every blog I read says, this is a very difficult season for the church. It's not going to be as easy as it was maybe in the early 2000s. It's going to be different. And it will take all of us working together graciously and lovingly. The diversity that God has put into this church is not a problem to overcome. It is a beautiful gift that the Holy Spirit knits together to work through us and in us. Amen? I invite you to stand with me this morning, wherever you are all over the room, if you can. I want to invite you just to pray a prayer this morning. If you're new to faith, if you wouldn't necessarily consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you're somewhere on that path maybe, but you're not assured of God's love for you. And you need to be reminded and you need to know that God is working in you, loving you, and that Christ Jesus has died for you. I want to give you a chance just to pray that prayer with me. If you are a follower of Jesus, use this as a moment of recommittal. If you'll bow your heads with me, let's pray together. Jesus, in this moment, we come to you. We invite you to be Lord of our life. May we experience the love you have for us. May we know how very valued, how very forgiven, how very loved we are by Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, I believe that you were God, that you came to this earth, and you lived as God and man in one flesh. You lived a perfect and righteous life. And then you took my sin and shame onto the cross and you died in my place. On the third day, you rose from the grave, conquering death that we may have eternal life in you. You gave your life for me. In this moment, I commit my life to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. As we close out this afternoon, I want to give you space just to pray and begin the journey of asking the Holy Spirit, what's the giftings you put in me? Where can I best serve your mission, your church? And for the Holy Spirit to remind you how very valuable you are, how empowered you are by His presence, and that uniqueness that makes you you is exactly what the church of Jesus Christ needs. These altars will be open. As a team leads, if you want to come forward and just invite the Holy Spirit to work through you, speak into you, or if you want to invite the Holy Spirit where you are, we want to seek that the Holy Spirit remind us of how empowered and important we are to the mission of leading people to Jesus.